Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Drew. I love that song. Uh, It's got a lot of good words, but the best to me are, if your eyes are on the storm, you'll wonder if I love you still. But if your eyes are on the cross, you'll know I always have and I always will. Amen. All right. Today, let's see, one, two weeks from today is going to be my fourth anniversary here with you. Now, I know. (laughs) Thank you. You're not going to like it when I tell you why I'm telling you. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I used to tell the choir, I would look at them while we're working on Christmas stuff, and I would say, I really love you guys. And then they knew, uh-oh, he's going to tell us we did something wrong in our, in our singing, right? Okay. So, uh, I love you guys. Now, let me tell you something uh, challenging. Today is the second part of our four-part series drawn from 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1 in which the Apostle Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Last week we looked at the fact that Paul was one who studied Scripture and admonished us to do the same. He wrote in Romans 12 too, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. All right, here we go. I challenged you last week to prioritize the study of Scripture. Now let me ask you, did you do it? See, here's the thing. When I challenged you to do that last week, I hope we don't have too many people that would just sit there and go, you know, I don't want to prioritize the study of Scripture. And so, you know, bottom line, it's just not important to me. So I'm not going to do it. I don't think there are a whole lot of people in here that would, that would take that approach. Unfortunately, what I'm scared of is that the more palatable way to disregard that challenge is to just go home and forget about it. I fear that we do have a lot of folks that might do that. So let me, let me warn you, let me help you realize that the result is actually just the same. <laughs> okay? If you hear me challenge you to prioritize the study of Scripture or prayer, as we're going to talk about today... And you sit there obstinately saying, I'm not going to do it because it doesn't matter to me. The result is the same as you going home and saying, "Uh, I don't know what he talked about, but it's time for lunch. And then you don't think about it again. (laughs) You get to the same place. So let me challenge you not to do that. Guys, we, we have to not only have good intentions, but we have to take steps to change something if we don't like how it's going, right? We have been fooling ourselves around here for a long time about a lot of things. And I challenge you, we have got to stop doing that. The result of our self-delusion is that our congregation has been shrinking and aging while we have failed to reach people. The whole time thinking that somehow we are okay despite the fact that we're not reaching people with the gospel. Those kinds of results are what we're going to get from self-delusion. That's why we've got to stop. So let me ask you again, when I challenged you to prioritize the study of Scripture, did you do anything? Now, if you already study Scripture and you're already in this wonderful pattern of studying, that's great. But if not, reflect, please, for a moment with real candid honesty and say, did I actually do anything as a result of last week's sermon. If you didn't, then you might as well have said, I forget it, it's not important to me. 
I'm really not asking you what you thought of the sermon or how was my delivery or anything along those lines, but did you take action? The reason I ask is that I hope you will consider at the outset of this sermon how to listen to it. Are you going to try to learn more about how to pray? If so, you'll want to listen with anticipation, and you may even want to write notes on the back of your bulletin. If you look on the back of the bulletin, it says notes there. Write down something. If your memory is like mine, you better write down anything you want to remember. Paul was a man of prayer, and I think I read through all of Paul's prayers this week in preparation for the sermon. And let me tell you, there's a lot to read. There are a lot of prayers. It is completely impossible to preach a comprehensive sermon on prayer. Uh, there's no way. So we're going to look at a couple of facets, and that's, that's all we're going to be able to look at today. We would require a whole bunch of sermons and probably a whole bunch of preachers to do an adequate job of the topic of prayer. But if you're here today to get something useful and take it home with you, we can do that. As you know, we have prayers throughout our worship service. These are prayers of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Why do we do that? Do we do that because Jimmy and I were sitting around in my office and we said, huh, let's monkey with the order of service just, you know, for fun and let's call it these things. No, we, we do that so that every single week as you're here and you see those prayers, uh, you can go, hey, when I'm at home in my prayer time, I can model my praying after this pattern where I start with adoration, and then I go to confession, and then thanksgiving, and then supplication. We do that in order to model this organization so that you can take it home and use it. So since we're familiar with that order, let's look at some of Paul's prayers under those categories. So the first one is adoration. An amazing expression of adoration is found in Romans 11 33 through 36. Let's read that together. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That's some awesome adoration from the Apostle Paul. You aren't left wondering how Paul feels about God, are you? He loves God and he's expressing it eloquently. What is it that motivates that kind of response from Paul? Now here's where we tie back into last week. Because what motivates that expression of praise is the truth that he's been preaching in Romans. Truth about God learned from studying about God, should motivate praise to God. The more we know God, the more fervently we will want to worship Him. That is what concerns me, guys, when I see lackluster worship. It's not that you've been reared in a kind of um, system where we're not very expressive. That doesn't concern me. I don't care. What concerns me is if we lack passion in our worship, it is directly related to our passion that we lack for God himself. And that's why I say, guys, we have got to be passionate in our worship. I don't care if you move. I don't care if you run around, I, you know. But 
express your passion to God when you sing. Uh, when we look at your face, we shouldn't wonder if you've been sucking on a lemon or you're worshiping God, right? We should say, these people are happy. They're here with their family and they are expressing their praise to God. And if you want to raise your hand, raise your hand. We, we're going to sometime soon, maybe after I finish my study of Hebrew this uh, next two semesters, talk about expressions of praise in the Bible. Uh, I did a short study on the words that express praise in the scripture and in Hebrew and Greek. They are very physical words. Uh, when it talks about worshiping, it talks about bowing down to the ground. Uh, it's, it's very physical in the, in the words that express worship. And so we'll, do a, we'll look at that sometime. But if you want to move and express yourself in worship, that's great. And it's, and it's biblical. But let me tell you. The more we know God, the more we're going to want to worship Him. And my goal is not simply to have us become more expressive, but to have us to know God better, which then leads to authentically passionate worship. There's a huge difference. Uh, there was a guy who named Joshua Harris that you may have heard about in the news recently. He wrote a best-selling book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and he was... Basically, every youth group and every homeschool kid, and you know, five or six years ago, was reading this Josh Harris book. He has recently, in the past few weeks, said, hey guys, uh, my wife and I are getting a divorce and I'm leaving the faith. I, I no longer am a follower of Christ. And that has upset some people. And then, just a couple of days ago, one of the writers at Hillsong Music, uh, which we just sang a Hillsong song... Not because we endorse their theology, let me express to you, not because we endorse their theology, but because they happen to write a really good song. Uh, one of the writers for their music company is, has decided that he is leaving the faith. And you know how you do that is you put it all over social media these days. So that upsets some folks and gets people ruffled. And if you were to go to a Hillsong concert and see that guy who is now apostate, leading worship, you would think he's the most dedicated, into it believer in the world because he's performing on stage as if he is. That's not the same thing as being authentically passionate about worship. And I don't want you to think it is, and I don't want you to think that I think it is. When we pray, we should express adoration to God. The better we know God, the more we're going to adore Him. If you want to have a better vocabulary of adoration to express to God, then pray Romans eleven thirty three to 36 to him. It's not somehow inauthentic to pray the words of Scripture. As a matter of fact, it's a wise practice that I highly recommend to you. So we have adoration, and we see that Paul was wonderful in his adoration of God in his prayers. The next thing that we do in here is confession. 1 Timothy 1, 15, let's see what Paul says about himself. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. All right, so Paul was worse than Osama bin Laden and Hitler, right? No, no. Paul was a great, great man. He was not the most evil or sinful guy ever to walk the earth. He was one of the greatest and holiest men to ever walk the earth. So why does he say that I am the chief of sinners, or I am the foremost of sinners. Well, he says that because he really, really knows who God is, and he really knows who he is. 
And the difference that he sees is so vast that it humbles him to say this. The more you know God, the more you will realize and despise your sin. Look at this incredibly candid confession in Romans 7. Starting in verse 15, Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So Paul was saying, look guys, I don't want to sin anymore. I want in response to God to live perfectly and righteously and holy, but I'm not there yet. So Paul is admitting he is not where he wants to be. He's not where he thinks he should be. He is not yet a perfectly obedient And he knows that God deserves perfect obedience. So he's frustrated. Can't you hear the frustration here? Obviously, there's a lot to think about there. But we will save most of it for another sermon. But do you see that candid confession of sin? Also, at the end, we see Paul launch again into adoration, right? Because when he answers the question, Who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so him even examining his sin and then talking about the remedy for that sin is Jesus Christ. And then he begins to praise again. So confession is a part of prayer. We are to keep a very short list of wrongs with God. When we know that we have sinned, we need to confess and repent. Confess and repent. Repent. Guys, it doesn't do any good if we just confess, okay? If I walk up to Buddy over here and I punch him in the nose and I say, Buddy, I just punched you in the nose, (laughs) and I do it again, by that time he's going to get tired of it and he's going to punch me back, right? We don't just confess. We don't just say, hey, I'm doing wrong and I'm off to do it again. That's of no value. We confess and we repent. So we have a change of heart and we don't go back and do that again. And if you're like me, you say, yeah, I know about that. I repent, and then I go do it again anyway. And then I repent. I think I repent. I try to repent. (laughs) I go to God, and I tell him, I'm sick of this. I don't want to do it anymore. And then I do it again, and I have to come back again. Well, thank God he is merciful. But but make every attempt to repent. Don't just confess and say, oh, well, you know, that's how you made me, so I'm going to go sin more. We try to fix those things and try to clean those things up. And then we follow Paul's advice in Romans 12 too and we renew our mind in scripture so that we can effectively repent 
the next section that we do in here is Thanksgiving. For the last two sections of our Acts ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication, I want us to focus on one prayer of Paul found in the beginning of his letter to the Colossians. Now, in the first two verses, he says, hi, and he sends his greeting. And then in verse 3, we read this. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ, Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And then in verse 12, he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I want us to look at that and see what things Paul is thankful for. So back in verse 3, he says, I thank God, and then he starts saying why. In verse 4, he says, because of your faith and your love. In verse 5, he says, because of the hope that is laid up for you. So he's thanking them for the Colossians. He's thanking God for the Colossians' faith, love, and hope. And in verse 6, bearing fruit and increasing. In verse 7, uh, he is thanking God for Epaphras, who is a faithful minister of Christ. In verse 8, he's thanking God for the love made known to him that the Colossians have. In verse 12, He is thanking God that God has qualified them to share in the inheritance. In other words, that he has saved them. In verse 13, he has delivered us. And he's thanking God for delivering us in salvation and transferring us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And in 14, he says, we have redemption and forgiveness. And he's thanking God for that. I read a lot of prayers, Paul's prayers this week. And this is the kind of stuff that he is thankful for. What are you thankful for? When you do praise God, what do you thank him for? Uh, Is it material stuff? There is nothing wrong and everything right with thanking God for material stuff. If he blesses you materially, be humble enough to thank God for it. But if that's the focus, guys, if that's the focus of what you're thankful for, then I'm saying we need to elevate our eyes a little bit. and We need to thank God for the spiritual things. If we we thank God for the material to the exclusion of the spiritual, then I think we're missing out. Jesus taught us to pray for the things that we need in the Lord's Prayer. So, of course, there is nothing wrong with that. We should pray about those things. And there's a problem, though, if those are the only things that we pray about. The things for which we are thankful tell us a lot about where... Our priorities are. Are you thankful for material blessings? I hope you are. I certainly am. But we need to be thankful for the faithfulness of other people. The growing faith of believers around us. The opportunities that the Lord provides for us to share our faith and other spiritual matters like that. 
That leads us to an area where many of us spend most of our time, and that is supplication. Now, supplication is a, a fancy word for asking for stuff. But we use that so it'll say A-C-T-S because acts make sense and acta, asking, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So supplication is our word for asking for stuff. Supplication is a good part of what we're supposed to do. The Lord teaches us to do that in the Lord's Prayer. If you look at Paul's prayers, you will see prayers of supplication. And the rest of that Colossians 1 that we skipped over, we skipped over a few verses. Let's look at that, and we're going to see what Paul was asking for. In verse 9 of Colossians 1, he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Are those the kind of things that you ask for when you pray? Let's look at them again. In verse 9, you may be filled with knowledge. That's his request. So he's praying on behalf of some other believer that they are filled with knowledge and wisdom. And in verse 10, he prays that these believers will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Guys, pray that for me every day. I would ask you to pray that for me. I pray that for you. Let's pray that we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Not not getting by with a minimum, but fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I can't think of a more wonderful prayer for you to pray for me or for me to pray for you. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Why? For all endurance and patience with joy. I was talking to somebody in my office this week. And as I was reading through all these prayers of Paul. Very, very rarely do you see Paul asking for people to be delivered from trouble. You see Paul asking for people to faithfully endure the trouble so that the things that God brings to them end up glorifying God by the way the Christian handles it. Now guys, if I had some horrible disease, I would come in here and I would ask you to pray that that disease would go away. I would ask for deliverance. Paul asked for deliverance. He said, I have a thorn in the flesh and I have asked God to remove that thorn. But God said, no. And Paul learned to accept that. And then he prays for endurance to get through those hard times. You know, if you're like me, you grew up hearing people in their prayers with, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, right? Why do we do that? Have you ever wondered why we do that? Is it just tradition? Well, let's look in, in John 14, 13. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So if we don't tack on that in Jesus' name to the end of our prayer, we don't, we don't get what we're asking for, right? <laughs> no, that's not right. What we do, why we do pray in the name of Jesus is, is several things, but here's a couple of them. One, it is to remind us every time that we pray that the only way we can approach the holy, holy, holy God is through the work and the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. 
And every time I have the audacity to speak to God the Father, I only do so because of the peace that has been created between us by the work of Jesus Christ. But another reason is that we need to make our requests for stuff that Jesus himself would ask for if he were you. How would Jesus pray if he were you? Um, there, I give my daughter my credit card sometimes, and she will go to the store for me. I don't give it to both my daughters because one of my daughters doesn't drive, so it's not that I have favoritism here. But my daughter that drives, I give her my credit card, and I send her to the store. Now, I expect her to use my name and my purchasing power for things that it's okay with me that she buy, right? And if she went and spent my money using my name and my credit to buy stuff that was not acceptable to me, we would we'd have a lot of problem there and she wouldn't get to use my credit card anymore, right? So when we go to God and we say, we want this thing in the name of Jesus, we're taking Jesus' name and saying, I want you to give me this because Jesus would want this. Then you need to be careful what you ask for, right? We need to ask for things that honor God and that Jesus himself would ask for if he were in your shoes. John fourteen thirteen says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, Now here's the rest of it. Why will he do it? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. So if you want God to answer your prayers, pray things that will glorify the Father and the Son. So if you're asking for stuff that does not glorify God, you have no reason to think that God is going to answer that request. In James 4 and verse 3, he says, You ask and do not receive... Well, that doesn't sound right. So why is that? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. That's pretty clear, huh? When we come to God, we come to God and we pray for things that glorify Him, not things that we can spend on our passions. We should ask for what we need, right? We know that. Jesus told us to. But we should also ask God to carry out His will in and through us. That is, that's kind of scary though, because if we do that, we may be called upon to be the agent that God uses to accomplish His will. Pray that God will save your neighbor and then go over there and share the gospel with your neighbor. You know, Brandon and I last summer were visiting some people on 14th here. And uh, we would do that fairly regularly. And it was in the summer. And we knocked on this lady's door. And she didn't have any air conditioning. And it was hot. And so the door was open. And she had a fan kind of drawing a little bit of breeze through the house. She invited us in. We came in. And we said, how can we pray for you? And she said, would you pray for me that I can get some milk to put in my coffee? Because I love coffee, but I can't afford any milk. And uh, I really wish I had some milk. And we said, okay. And we prayed for her to have some milk to put in her coffee. And then we asked her if we could share the gospel with her. And she said yes, and we did. Now we left there, and we got in Brandon's car, and we drove to Piggly Wiggly and bought some milk, and drove back over there and gave the woman some milk. (laughs) Now if we knew we were going to go buy the milk, why did we pray that the woman would get milk? Let me tell you, it's because we understand that sometimes the things we pray for, God uses us to then accomplish, right? Right? 
just like your neighbor. If, you're, if you are praying that your neighbor will hear the gospel, pray that and then go tell them the gospel. Many times, most of the time, God will answer our prayer through people. That is why I always find it sad and ironic when I see people on Facebook asking people to pray for wisdom or for encouragement, and these are people that I know don't go to church. And I can't understand why they are asking God for the things that they could find if they would come to church, but they won't come to church. We've all heard the parable, right, about the guy who is in a flood and he gets on the top of his house and he asks God to deliver him. And a guy in a boat comes by and he says, well, no, I asked God to deliver me, so go on. Then a person in a helicopter comes and he says, no, no, I asked God to deliver me, go on, right? <laughs> we don't want to be foolish. We don't want to, we don't want to say, God, would you do this? Now, I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm going to sit here. If I'm sick, I'm going to pray to God that he heals me. Then I'm going to go to the doctor, right? Because God may use the doctor to heal me. So when we pray to God, let's have the faith not only to ask him, but to then act on what we're asking him. I know that God can and does accomplish things without us. But if you're going to ask for it, then work for it as well. If it's something you're able to work on, like that salvation of your neighbor. Pray for things that will matter a hundred years from now. The salvation of specific people. The spiritual growth of specific people. The revival of West Laurel Baptist Church. The spread of the gospel through you and through our church. Don't neglect the eternal things for the immediate things. A great way to keep yourself focused on the eternal things is to tie as many of your prayer requests as possible to Scripture. Because if Jesus was praying for it, or if Paul was praying for it, or if James was praying for it, or John, if these guys were praying for it, it's probably something that matters, and it's probably something that is eternal. So try to tie the things you're really asking God for to Scripture when applicable. If you find that you're praying for the same kinds of things as the Apostle Paul, then you're doing well. Now let me give you a few practical steps to a better prayer life. Well, really two. One, make time to pray. All right, uh, I know, I already said, good intentions are not going to get it cut, right? You have to actually make time to pray. You don't have to think, hey, that's a good idea. You have to say, I'm going to do that. When I get home, I'm going to look at my calendar, and I'm going to say, I need to get up 30 minutes earlier, or I need to take my lunchtime to do this. Make time to pray. Now, I've read about some of the reformers and some great pastors of, of history, and they'll say things like, oh, you know, I, I pray three hours every morning so that I can get everything done that I need to do. Okay, don't, don't shoot for three. If you're not praying, don't shoot for three hours, right? Shoot for something manageable that you can actually do and put that into effect. So make time to pray is the first practical thing. The second is adopt practical ways to prevent mental drift. Y'all are probably more spiritual than me, but sometimes I'll start praying and I'll go, uh, man, I wonder if I let the dog out. Um, Oh, sorry, Lord, forgive me. I don't know what I'm thinking about. And I'll get back into what I'm doing. And then I'll think, um, man, I got to pick Gabriel up at 
you know, after practice, what time is it? And I think, oh, what am I doing? I'm talking to God, and yet my mind is drifting. That's horrible, right? Well, if you're like me and that happens to you, uh, come up with some things to help you not do that. One is to pray out loud. If you are thinking about how to vocalize your prayers, it, it keeps your mind fixed a little better. And these days, nobody will think you're crazy. You know, 50 years ago, if you're walking around talking to yourself, they'll think you're crazy. Now they'll think you're on your Bluetooth headset. Don't worry about it. Uh, pray through scripture. Pray using a good hymnal. There's wonderful adoration in a hymnal. There's wonderful theological truth in a hymnal. Pray using a prayer list so you don't forget stuff. Guys, if I had to rely on my memory, I wouldn't get much praying done. Keep a journal. Ask, you know, write down what you're asking God for. And on the next page, see what happens and what, how God responds and journal that stuff. So what do we do? Bottom line, we choose again this week. Just like we did last week. Are we going to take the time and effort to be serious about prayer? Well, ask yourself, do you want to be the reason and the, the agent through which God accomplishes his will? If you do, then let me suggest that you pray. Then the next thing is act on it. Don't just have good intentions. But like Nike would tell you, just do it. Right? Good intentions are followed by good actions if they produce fruit. Good intentions by themselves don't produce a thing. Now I said earlier that the only way we can expect that the Holy God will actually hear our prayers is if we've been reconciled to him through Christ. So I know it's going to be another two minutes before you get to eat, but listen to me. I want you to be telling this to people, so I want you to be familiar with it. Guys, we have a problem in our lost state with God. We're separated from Him. What Jesus did was, He lived the life that you should have lived but could not. And then He died a death that you did deserve and that He didn't. And He's willing to trade places with you. You can take all of your sin and put it on Christ, who paid for it on the cross, and He will, in exchange, give you all His righteousness. So that not only are you forgiven, but you are loved and embraced and cherished as part of the family of God. If you haven't done that, don't leave here today without doing it.